Good morning, church family. For it's great to see all of you here today. As we will once again be in Mark chapter 15 this morning, which make no mistake about it, will also be our last week in Mark chapter 15 and our second to last week overall in the gospel of Mark as a whole, if you can believe that, church. As Lord willing, our plan is to finish our study through the gospel of Mark next week after some 23 months in this glorious gospel. Nevertheless, as for today, we will once again be in Mark chapter 15, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 42 through 47, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was buried, which obviously took place, church, after the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ, or when Jesus Christ, after having his crossbeam carried for him to Golgotha or to Calvary, by a man named Simon of Cyrene, for he, Jesus Christ, then at 9 a.m. in the morning was nailed to a cross with five to seven-inch nails. And then he had that cross raised up into the air, dropped down into a post hole, and he, Jesus Christ, hung there until he finally gave up his life and died. However, while hanging on that cross... For those who passed by him, church, for they mocked him, and the chief priest and the scribes, for they mocked him, and even the two criminals who hung on the crosses right next to him, for even they reviled him as well. To which, as we see in verse 33, that at noon then, church, or about three hours after Jesus Christ was initially nailed to that aforementioned cross, that there was darkness then over the whole land which was seemingly, as numerous commentators put it, a cosmic sign of sorts of our God's divine judgment on human sin, which was placed on or poured out on the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. To which at 3 p.m. then in the afternoon, as Jesus Christ hung there on that cross at Calvary, for he then, verse 34, cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus Christ was experiencing here, as Daniel Aiken noted, something that he had never experienced before, that being separation from and forsakenness by God. Only to then, as we go on to see in verse 37, breathe his last and die, to which the curtain then of the temple or the curtain that seemingly separated the holy place from the holy of holies, verse 38, was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying here not only the end of the Old Testament sacrificial system, but also that the barrier to God had now been removed. In essence, that all believers then now have access to the presence of their most holy God. And also following the death of Jesus Christ, for the centurion then, or the Roman soldier who was seemingly overseeing the group of soldiers who crucified the two robbers and Jesus Christ at Calvary, for he then, as we see in verse 39, when he saw the way that Jesus Christ breathed his last, said, for truly this man was the Son of God. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, 
or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, truly did give his life up and die as a ransom for many, and his dead body then was placed in a tomb. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, truly did give his life up and die as a ransom for many, and his dead body then was placed in a tomb. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God, which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 853, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 15 this morning, church, looking specifically at verses 42 through 47 where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud And taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning on the Lord's Day with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you and, Father, to be fed this morning and strengthened this morning by your word and by the lyrics of these psalms, and by the scripture reading that we are doing throughout. Father, strengthen each one of us, I pray this morning, through the power of your word. And Father, as we come down the home stretch this morning of the gospel of Mark, for let us not be quick or hasty to just gloss over the burial of Jesus Christ, for it just adds to the fact and the clarity 
that your son Jesus Christ really did die to the point that he was placed in a tomb and buried. Because without the death of Jesus Christ, there is no true resurrection for Jesus Christ. And let our eyes be open to the courage of this man named Joseph of Arimathea here. And Father, we pray that we too, because of our love for Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ, are willing to be courageous for the sake of Jesus Christ as well knowing full well that no matter what comes our way, Father, that you are sovereign over all, and you will work it out for our good and for your glory. Thus strengthen us today, Father, by using this text. Humble us, I pray, Father. And I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue at this time as well. Lord, let me be able to clearly articulate exactly what you would have me say to these dear, these dear children of yours, children who are purchased by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that it be edifying to them and above all else glorifying to you, Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. Christian, let your love for Jesus Christ guide the ways of your life. Christian, let your love for Jesus Christ guide the ways of your life. Verses 42 through 44, which read, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So with Jesus Christ, as we saw in verse 37, breathing his last breath and ultimately dying on that cross at Calvary, not merely going unconscious on that cross at Calvary, not merely drifting off into a coma on that cross at Calvary and not having someone who looks like him die in his place on that cross at Calvary, but instead with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the God-man himself here, dying on that cross at Calvary. For it wasn't the practice then of the Romans to take the body of the deceased individual down off their cross and to then clean up that dead body and make sure that that dead body then received some kind of proper burial. But instead, it was the typical practice of the Romans here to merely just leave the crucified and dead body hanging on their cross, where the deceased body then would begin to rot and to decompose, and where animals then would begin to pick at it and to eat it, to the point that eventually then just the remains of the dead body would be thrown into a place called the Valley of Hinnom. However, as one commentator noted here, for leaving a body hanging on a tree overnight, for that was a violation of the Mosaic law, as Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 22 and 23 notes. Therefore, the Romans then would allow the Jews to follow their traditions and to bury even those who had been found guilty of rebellion against Rome. And thus, with that context in mind here, 
For as we see then in verse 42, that when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, speaking here, church, about one to two hours before the sun went down on Friday, or on the day of preparation, which was the day before Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, that verse 43, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a respected member of the council, i.e. a respected member of the Sanhedrin church, or a respected member of the Jewish high court here church. You know, the court or the council here church, who initially were seeking testimony against Jesus Christ in order to put him to death and to condemn Jesus Christ as deserving death, and who spit on Jesus Christ, struck Jesus Christ, and said to Jesus Christ, prophesy, and who then bound up Jesus Christ, led him away, and delivered him over to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, only to then stir up the crowd in order to have Pilate release for them Barabbas instead of Jesus Christ. You know that council here, church? For that was the council who this man named Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of, but who also then, as we go on to see in verse 43, was looking for the kingdom of God. And not only that, but who was also a disciple of Jesus Christ, as Matthew chapter 27 puts it, a disciple of Jesus Christ, but secretly for fear of the Jews, as John chapter 19 puts it, and a good and righteous man who had not consented to the Sanhedrin's decision and action to condemn Jesus Christ, as Luke chapter 23 explains it. To which in hearing all that, for you might be sitting there this morning, church, thinking to yourself, but wait a second, because didn't it say back in Mark chapter 14, verse 64, that they all, as in all the members of the Sanhedrin, condemned Jesus Christ as deserving death. And if that is what you are thinking to yourself at this time, church, then you would be most assuredly correct. And thus it seems likely then, in order to reconcile all of this here, that this Joseph of Arimathea then either was not present at Jesus' trial, or that he quite simply did not vote at Jesus' trial. But either way, what we do know here, church, about this man named Joseph of Arimathea is that he was a respected member of the Sanhedrin, that he himself was looking for the kingdom of God, and that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, but secretly for fear of the Jews. But who also then, as we see in verse 43, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, typically, church, it was a family member or a close friend, as one commentator noted, who would have requested the body of a crucified individual. However, being that Jesus' apostles were not present at this time, outside of the apostle John, who although he was present at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was likely caring for Jesus' mother Mary at this time, as John chapter 19 verses 26 and 27 would seem to indicate For as we see then in verse 43, that it's this member of the Sanhedrin then church, this Joseph of Arimathea, who takes courage and who bravely 
and too boldly and too courageously goes to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate here, and asks him for the body of Jesus Christ. And just in case you are wondering why this would have been such a brave and bold and courageous move from Joseph of Arimathea here, for it was because, church, Joseph of Arimathea was in essence publicly outing himself here as someone who was loyal and committed to Jesus Christ, which obviously then would have angered the other members of the Sanhedrin, and quite frankly then, could have led to some pretty significant consequences for Joseph of Arimathea here as well. And thus in light of all that, for I want to close point number one this morning, church, quite simply with this from Paul Tripp, who shared... That while the other apostles were hiding in confusion and fear, Joseph of Arimathea acted with remarkable courage and love. Because if you notice from the passage, this man had everything to lose with this move. For he was a member of the inner council of the Sanhedrin. And it was his peers who had just put pressure on Pilate to try Jesus for treason and to crucify him on a cross. And thus asking for the body of this crucified man, for it was a public declaration of his love for Jesus Christ. And Joseph of Arimathea then would no longer be a secret disciple. For when he could have remained under the radar, Joseph inserted himself into the middle of a religious and political drama, the very drama that sent the rest of the apostles into hiding. For in one move, Joseph risked everything, his wealth, his reputation, his power, and even his life. But Joseph of Arimathea loved his Lord too much to let his body rot on a cross. And thus, what about you? For where is God calling you to be courageous and to walk in faith? Or where is God nudging you to do something simply because you love him? For who knows what extraordinary things God will do with your little act of faith and love, since your God is able to take ordinary responses of love and faith and do extraordinary things with them. Which brings us now, church, to point number two. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and was buried. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and was buried. Verses 44 through 47. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud And taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid it in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So following, church, the death of Jesus Christ, And this disciple of Jesus Christ, this member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, taking courage and asking Pontius Pilate for the body of Jesus Christ. For Pontius Pilate, then, as we see in verse 44, was surprised to hear that Jesus Christ should have already died. 
Or as the New Living Translation puts it, couldn't believe that Jesus Christ was already dead. Since individuals crucified on a cross sometimes could hang there for two to three days before they would eventually die. Whereas Jesus Christ, he had only been hanging on a cross for some six hours before he ultimately gave up his life. Therefore, Pilate, then verse 44, in summoning the centurion, seemingly the same centurion who oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, from verse 39, for he, Pilate, then asked this centurion whether Jesus was already dead. To which when Pilate learned from this centurion, verse 45, that Jesus was dead, for he, Pilate, then granted the corpse to Joseph of Arimathea. And yet simply because Pilate granted Jesus' body to Joseph of Arimathea here, for it wasn't like some soldiers then just came running up to Joseph of Arimathea with Jesus' dead body here and just handed it over to him, But instead, as Walter Wessel points out, seemingly with some help from his servants, being that he, Joseph of Arimathea, was a rich man, as Matthew chapter 27, verse 57 notes, and with some help from a man by the name of Nicodemus, who came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, as John chapter 19, verse 39 notes. For he, Joseph of Arimathea, then, As we see in verse 46, bought a linen shroud. And he apparently then, upon arriving at Golgotha, or at Calvary, again seemingly with with the help of some others, took Jesus' body down from the cross. And very likely then, washed Jesus' dead body. And cleaned the blood off Jesus' dead body. And then as we see in verse 46, wrapped Jesus' dead body in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. A tomb, church, as we see in Matthew 27, verse 60, that was Joseph of Arimathea's own new tomb. And as we also see in John chapter 19, verse 41, was a tomb that was located in a garden and that no one had been laid in. To which Joseph of Arimathea then, again seemingly with some help from others, after Jesus' body had been laid in this tomb, for he then, verse 46, rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. A stone that could have weighed, church, anywhere between 1,500 and 3,000 pounds. And thus with Jesus Christ then being buried in this rich man's tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea here, for we once again, church, have yet another Old Testament prophecy fulfilled, this time from Isaiah 53, 9, which reads that the suffering servant's grave would be made with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. To which as we go on to see in verse 47 that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus Christ was laid. And that two of the women from verse 40, who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, now also see here exactly where Jesus' dead body had been laid as well. In essence, setting up here, church, the appearance of these women come Sunday morning, when they would return to this tomb in order, Mark 16, 1, to anoint Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, I want to wrap up point number two this morning, church, Quite simply with this, 
that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the God-man himself, did undoubtedly, unmistakably, and unquestionably die. And that Jesus Christ didn't just fake his own death here, church. Nor did he have someone who looked like him take his place and die on that cross here, church. Nor even did he just drift off into a coma or become unconscious for three days here, church. But instead, Jesus Christ, for he truly was crucified on that cross at Calvary, died on that cross at Calvary, and was put into a rich man's grave because he did, without a shadow of a doubt, die on that cross at Calvary. And the reason why I am harping so much on the death of Jesus Christ here, church, and dwelling so much on the death of Jesus Christ here, church, and going on and on and on about the fact that Jesus Christ really did die on that cross at Calvary here, church, is because in order to have a true and accurate and factual and historical, world-altering, earth-shattering, really did happen, resurrection from the dead type of moment here, church, for you really do need then the Son of God, the Son of man, the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, to really die on that cross at Calvary here, church. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, that although Jesus Christ really did die on that cross at Calvary and really did give his life up as a ransom for many on that cross at Calvary, for we do not worship a Savior who is still dead and buried in some grave, non-Christian, but instead we worship a Savior who not only died, but who also then, three days later, rose from the dead in order to save sinners like you and like me, non-Christian, from their very sins. And he, Jesus Christ, did that by coming into this world as truly God and as truly man and by initially living for us here on earth, the life that we as sinners could never, ever live. A life that was holy and righteous, just and good, free from any kind of evil or iniquity, wickedness or sin. And in doing so, he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it, non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, fulfilling the law of God all for the very children of God, for that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because being that the wage of our sin or the, the cost of our sin is that of death, Romans 6.23, for he, Jesus Christ, then also willingly gave himself up as a ransom for many by being crucified and nailed to, killed and crushed on an old rugged cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. 
and in doing so satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of all that, three days later then this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, since sin and death had no power or no claim over him, for he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the death of Jesus Christ and the burial of Jesus Christ, as we see then in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66, for it reads that the next day, That is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And thus in light of that, one commentator, for he shared this, that God can make the devices of wicked men work round for his own glory. And we are taught this lesson in a striking manner by the conduct of the chief priests and the Pharisees from these verses, that even after our Lord was buried, for the restless enmity of these happy men could not sleep, even when the body of Jesus Christ was placed in the grave, for they called to mind the words which they remembered Jesus had spoken about rising again, and they resolved then, as they thought, to make sure that his rising again would be impossible. But little did they know that what they were actually doing was providing the most complete evidence of the truth of Christ's coming resurrection, and that they were actually making it impossible to prove that there were any deceptions or fraudulent actions taking place concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since their seal, their guards, and all their precautions were all to become witnesses then a few hours later that Jesus Christ had indeed risen. 
And the history of the church of Christ is full of examples of similar kind. And that the very things that often seem most unfavorable to God's people often have turned out to be for their good. For example, what harm did the persecution of Bloody Mary do to the cause of the English Reformation? For the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. And what harm does persecution do to the people of God this very day? For it only drives them nearer to Jesus Christ and only makes them cling more closely to the throne of grace, to the Bible, and to prayer. And thus let all true Christians then lay these things to heart and take courage that we live in a world where all things are ordered by the hand of perfect wisdom and where all things are working together continually for the good of the body of Jesus Christ. Therefore, rest in the fact, dear Christian, that our God, as Psalm 76.10 puts it, can make even the wrath of man praise him. And thus, applicably speaking here, church, for I just want to hone in this morning or leave you all here this morning with this, that although we as Christians in America today might be starting to feel that pinch of persecution and those not-so-subtle jabs of abuse a bit more at this time, and might even be starting to hear those utterances of animosity and those declarations of hostility a bit more at this time, and might even be starting to see those articles of mockery and those social media posts of pure hatred toward Christians a bit more at this time, that despite all of that, for let me remind you, brother Christian, sister Christian, that your God that he is still sovereign over every little bit of hostility that you may face and authoritative over every single second of animosity that may come your way and is still absolutely in control of every single instance of persecution that may ultimately come knocking at your door as well. And not only that, but that your God can also use then that persecution and hostility, Christian, that affliction and suffering, Christian, that mistreatment and animosity, Christian, and that mockery and abuse, Christian, that you may be called to face in order to sanctify you, purify you, refine you, and to grow you in Christ's likeness. And he can do that, Christian, because your God is sovereign over all, and he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And thus, if you're all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, all-decreeing, always-present, and always-good God of the universe can work for good what the chief priest and the Pharisees here meant for evil. For rest assured then, Christian, that no matter what kind of hatred or hostility, mockery or animosity that you may be called to face, for your God can most assuredly use that then, Christian, for your good and for his eternal glory. And thus lovingly then, fret not yourself over evildoers, 
But instead, remind yourself here, Christian, and cling to the fact here, Christian, that your God is sovereign, in control of, and authoritative over all, and that for those who love God, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, even when the wicked Christian are seeking to bring evil against them. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body quite frankly, just rest in the complete sovereignty, the divine authority, and in the providential workings of our God who is in control of all. And that when we as the children of God then do indeed face persecution and hostility, mockery and animosity because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that we realize that we have absolutely nothing that we need to fear. Since you, God, you do what you please and that nothing can stop your purposes, and that all you decree, Father, will certainly come to pass, and thus because of that, for let us never doubt then, Father, your power, your sovereignty, and your authority over all things, even when the evil deeds of the wicked do indeed come our way. But instead, help us, Lord, to consider it all joy when we do meet trials of various kinds, since we know that you are working in and through those trials in order to grow us in Christ's likeness. Therefore, let us rest in the fact, Father, that what man may mean for evil against us, that you, God, can and you will use for our good and for your eternal glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we cannot fathom your providential workings in and through every single area of our life. But what we do know, Father, is that you are sovereign over all things and that you are good, that you love your children, you will be faithful to your children. And thus, as we see, when even the wickedness of men come up against your children, like the Pharisees and the chief priests here, with the audacity to think that they could keep the resurrection of Jesus Christ from happening, Father, you use it to prove to the world that the resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't some fraudulent thing that took place, but there was a sealed tomb. There were guards outside of it. No one stole that body of Jesus Christ, that dead body. It came back to life. It rose from the grave. There was a resurrection of that body. So, Father, let us cling to the resurrection this morning. The truth, the authenticity, the historical fact that Jesus Christ, though he died, three days later he rose from the dead. And thus, no matter what, takes place in this world around us. No matter if this world says that he's nothing more than a killed prophet, a moral exemplar, a good man, a wise man, we know that Jesus is the God-man, the one who conquered sin and death and who rose from the grave. Father, let us cling to that this morning and know if you can work that out for good, Lord, whatever comes our way in this life, we know you can work it out as well for the good of your children and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
As we come to the conclusion of our service this morning, church,